1: Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Hello and welcome back to another thoracic surgery clinical challenge with your Swedish Medical Center thoracic surgery team. I'm Megan Lenehan, joined by the grand doctors Brian Louis, hey Peter White, Hello. And Kelly Dawes. Hey, hey, hey. Today we are going to be talking about anterior mediastinal masses. You have surely heard of your terrible tease of the anterior mediastinum. Thymoma, teratoma, ectopic thyroid tissue, terrible lymphoma, and the parathyroids. So while we will touch on the workup for these, we're going for a deeper dive on thymoma
2: specifically because it is Peter White's favorite. He loves it. He really does. Let's start off with a case. So a 64-year-old man is referred by his PCP to your office for a mediastinal mass. He's pretty healthy, and he had a chest CT to rule out a PE for what turned out to be some virus-associated shortness of breath. This CT, however, noted a 3.4 by 1.8 centimeter anterior mediastinal mass. His symptoms resolved, but now he's sitting in your office asking, what's next?
3: So, Kelly, let's start with thinking about what your differential is going to be for this patient.
2: Absolutely. So, when I think about the differential for a mass in the mediastinum, I like to divide it into the three main compartments, anterior, middle, and posterior, and then think about what structures lie within each of these. The anterior mediastinum is located between the sternum and pericardium and contains thymic, lymphoid, and residual embryonic tissue. This makes the differential diagnosis for an anterior mediastinal mass include things such as thymoma, lymphoma, or germ cell tumors. Now, the middle mediastinum includes all the visceral structures, the pericardium, heart, great vessels, trachea, esophagus. Masses in this compartment are most often lymphoid in origin, lymphoma, sarcoid, or metastatic lung cancer. However, cysts can also arise from any of the visceral structures, bronchogenic cyst, enteric cyst of the esophagus, or pericardial cyst. Lastly, the posterior mediastinum is the remainder of the mediastinum up to the thoracic vertebrae and contains the sympathetic chain and intercostal nerve roots. So then logically, posterior mediastinal masses are predominantly neurogenic in origin, a neuroblastoma, ganglioneuroblastoma, schwannomas, or neurofibromas, just to mention a
0: few. It's a great systematic way to tackle the differential diagnosis, Kelly. But don't forget from embryology that ectopic thyroid and parathyroid tissue can also find its way into the mediastinum. Such things as substernal goiter, parathyroid adenoma, should be on your differential diagnosis as well.
3: Right, and not all thymic masses are thymoma. To be comprehensive, we have to include thymic carcinoma as well as thymic cysts. And there's multinodular cystic thymoma, Uh, or general thymic hyperplasia. It can be very challenging to differentiate between a simple thymic cyst and multinodular cystic thymoma at times. And so uh, that's one of the considerations as well.
1: Wow. So we have a fantastic differential built for this patient, but we have to remember... Some of these etiologies will be more common based on age and sex of our patient. So, Kelly, we have a 64-year-old male. If you were going to put money on it, what would you say is the most likely pathology for our patient?
2: Ooh, that's an excellent point. Well, we know the peak incidence of thymoma is between 40 to 60, so I'd say that's probably high up there. Lymphoma would be likely in this age group as well. He's a little bit old for a germ cell tumor, but not impossible. Men do have a nine-to-one predominance for germ cell tumors, but women can get them, too. Now, what about as a thoracic surgeon, which of these etiologies is most exciting to have
1: show up in your office because it means a trip to the OR? That's
3: a really important way to look at this (laughs) differential, especially in our world where we're considering surgical versus non-surgical. In the anterior mediastinum, thymoma and thymic carcinoma are surgical. Thymic cysts and hyperplasia only require resection if they're compressing important structures or if we really aren't sure of what their true pathology is and want to confirm by surgical uh, excision, um, both for biopsy and potential treatment. Lymphoma obviously requires tissue diagnosis, but then is medically managed with chemotherapy or radiation. And of the germ cell tumors, terrible teratoma, get surgery, but seminomas are treated with chemotherapy uh, and sometimes radiation, and non-seminominus germ cell tumors, same thing, get chemotherapy, and then potentially if there's residual tumor left over, surgery might be considered.
1: Excellent. So we already know about our patient's anterior mediastinal mass, and we're hoping
2: it's something we're going to get to operate on. How are we going to work this out? So, CT is the primary modality used to characterize these masses. IV contrast will help, especially in determining the relationship to all those important vascular structures in the chest.
0: Whoa, Nellie, maybe that should be, whoa, Kelly, let's not forget we're (laughs) doctors and while jumping to the donut of truth is alluring, especially when you have imaging in hand, you still need to do a history and physical exam.
2: Oh, Dr. Louie, you're right, it's just all so exciting. All right, well, based off the differential we just discussed, the important things to ask about in the history include, uh, let's see, for possible lymphoma, we wanna ask about B symptoms, such as fevers, chills, night sweats, weight loss, fatigue, lumps and bumps, and examine all their lymph node basins for adenopathy. Then when I'm thinking about thymoma, I wanna ask about any symptoms of myasthenia gravis, such as muscle fatigue, vision changes, difficulty swallowing, changes in speech, any shortness of breath, and then when I examine them, I'd be looking for eyelid drooping, ptosis, and proximal muscle weakness.
0: Yes, okay. Anything else, Kelly? Or Megan?
1: <laughs> well, not necessarily for this patient, but if it's a young man and you're worried about a germ cell tumor, you could ask uh, about any testicular changes, do a testicular exam, or get a testicular ultrasound.
2: Perfect, because that brings us back to imaging. CT with IV contrast is the primary modality we use and will help us determine those important relationships to vascular structures. MRI can be used as an adjunct to further characterize these masses, especially when you're wanting more information on whether the mass is cystic. MRI can also help when we're trying to differentiate compression versus invasion of all these structures.
3: We should also draw basic labs and get some tumor markers, which include AFP or alpha-fetoprotein, beta-HCG, and help diagnose germ cell tumors, uh, as well as LDH, uh, which can oftentimes be elevated in patients with lymphoma. If imaging findings are suggestive of thymoma, uh, we should also do a biochemical workup for myasthenia gravis, and especially if there's any concerning uh, signs or symptoms, uh, either through patient history or on your exam, uh, for weakness. Exactly. Remember, of patients with a thymoma, 30 to 40% will have
0: myasthenia gravis, whereas of people with MG, only 10 to 15% will have a thymoma. If this patient ends up having myasthenia gravis, you need to know that preoperatively because it affects your anesthesia and your perioperative plan.
3: Uh, So, Kelly, which labs should we get for myasthenia gravis?
2: That would be acetylcholine receptor antibodies.
3: Right. Uh, Acetylcholine receptor antibodies is the initial laboratory test to diagnose myasthenia gravis. They're found in 90% of patients with myasthenia. If acetylcholine receptor antibody testing is non-diagnostic, then second-line antibody testing, you can look for uh, MUSK antibodies, uh, which are present in about 10% of myasthenia patients. When we're talking about uh, the myasthenia gravis antibodies, there are several different varieties. If you want to learn more, we'll have a link in our show notes.
2: Now, even with all the imaging and lab workup, the definitive way to figure out what a mass is, is to remove it. Even if your diagnosis is a benign cyst, often we still recommend removal of these masses to be absolutely sure. Overall, the risk of complication is low if your patient's a good surgical candidate. Exactly. That definitive diagnosis generally requires tissue.
1: Though how you do this varies. Let's say your history, physical, and imaging are more suggestive of lymphoma. CT shows maybe an attenuating soft tissue mass with smooth or lobulated margins that conform to surrounding structures. What are some considerations for obtaining a tissue sample in that instance?
0: Megan, the most important consideration is that lymphoma is not a surgical disease and is going to be medically treated with chemotherapy and or radiation, so you don't need to resect the mass in its entirely. However, in order for the medical and radiation oncologist to proceed with treatment, they need tissue. This means surgeons often become part of the team consulted for biopsy. Fine needle aspiration is often inadequate. A core biopsy is a reasonable way to go with interventional radiology because you can get flow cytometry. But often surgeons are called to perform an incisional or excisional mass biopsy, and for thoracic surgeons, often that's done through a Chamberlain procedure or media stenoscopy.
1: Great. Now, what if your history, physical, and imaging shows a sharply demarcated, round, <coughs> homogenous, soft tissue mass suggestive of thymoma? What are some considerations then? Well,
3: if we're more concerned for thymoma, We'd want to proceed with surgical resection both for diagnosis as well as to stage the thymoma and ultimately their initial treatment. Uh, We avoid biopsy of thymomas because it has the potential to seed the trap in which uh, we'd want to avoid, especially because of the location uh, behind the uh, sternum. Uh, Oftentimes, small thymomas require a transpleural approach, and we'd really want to avoid seeding the pleura. Uh, If the diagnosis is unclear based on imaging characteristics, or if we're concerned for thymic carcinoma, uh, either because we see areas of necrosis or hemorrhage or calcification uh, or irregular contour or invasion, uh, thymic carcinoma may be treated with induction therapy first, and that's where a biopsy may be important uh, because it changes what our treatment plan would be.
1: So based on the above considerations, if we do a biopsy, what possible possible approaches are there?
3: So those would include percutaneous biopsies with interventional radiology, which is oftentimes the most common as long as they have an appropriate window. There's endobronchial with interventional pulmonology, um, but that requires uh, the mass to be appropriately located near the airways uh, or surgical biopsy. Uh, the choice of biopsy technique is really going to depend on the location and the size and consideration of any anesthesia risks that may be involved, um, particularly because some of these masses can get quite large and potentially compromise the airway or uh, compress uh, the superior vena cava and lead to SVC syndrome.
1: Now, specifically talking about surgical biopsies, what different procedures are there to biopsy a mass in the mediastinum?
3: The surgical biopsy would be your last resort if more minimally invasive biopsy approaches really weren't feasible. Uh, And here you have three different options. You have an anterior mediastinoscopy or the Chamberlain procedure, like Dr. Louis mentioned, which is really useful for substernal masses, particularly if those masses are large enough to uh, be uh, on imaging that you could get to them uh, just lateral to the sternum, either the left or the right side. Here you'd enter the second intercostal space. Uh, and then uh, attempt to spare the internal mammary if you can to obtain a tissue sample. Uh, If all things are equal, I favor the right side over the left if it's available, simply because there is a chance for injury to that internal mammary, and we'd want to save it for the future cardiothoracic cardiac surgeons.
2: You don't want to sacrifice God's gift to cardiac surgeons.
3: Exactly. Uh, Other options include cervical mediastinoscopy for masses in the middle mediastinum. Uh, This is ideal for accessing paratracheal and subcarinal spaces through a small incision just above the sternal notch. Uh, Otherwise, your option would be a VATS, which would also provide excellent access to the entire uh, mediastinum, uh, but generally is more invasive than our other biopsy approaches.
2: Excellent. So let's summarize our workup for a mediastinal mass. You'll get your history and physical, and then characterize the mass with CT chest with IV contrast. Possibly get an MRI if you need uh, further imaging characteristics. You'll obtain baseline labs, including tumor markers, specifically AFP, beta hcg LDH, and then you'll rule in or out myasthenia gravis if needed with acetylcholine receptor or musk antibodies. You then synthesize all your data and, if indicated, proceed with biopsy via the three approaches we potentially talked about, percutaneous, endobronchial, or
0: surgical. We'd like to take a minute to share a great opportunity to contribute to surgical education research and make a few bucks doing it. A team at the Brooke Army Medical Center is working to better define proficiency-based metrics for competency in commonly performed general surgery procedures. If you are a PGY-4 or 5 general surgery resident, or a practicing surgeon who performs robotic cholecystectomies or inguinal hernia repairs, take a minute to reach out to the study team for more information on how you could be compensated up to $400 for recording and submitting videos of you performing surgery. All you have to do is check out the show notes for the contact information. Dominate the day.
2: Great.
1: So for a 64-year-old male with an incidentally discovered 3.4 by 1.8 centimeter anterior mediastinal mass on CT... His history was negative for B symptoms and myasthenia gravis symptoms. ADHDG, AFP, LDH, and acetylcholine receptor antibodies were all negative. On thorough review of his CT imaging, the mass is smooth and lobulated with preserved fat planes between it and other structures of the mediastinum. Based on imaging, we are thinking thymoma, so we get to skip to our favorite part. Let's go to the OR. We would, of course, make sure he is medically optimized Does not require any additional cardiac workup. If the patient has any respiratory symptoms, we're worried for myasthenia gravis or phrenic nerve involvement. We would also get pulmonary function tests.
3: Well, Let's pause here real quick. So let's consider what if he actually did have myasthenia gravis? What if he in the past had had a myasthenic crisis? Well, you mentioned earlier, it's going to impact our anesthesia and perioperative management. So what do we need to be proactive about and what things should we have in our uh, armamentarium uh, to help avoid any major uh, issues postoperatively? <clears throat> Peter, I think this is
0: a key important point with patients who might have myasthenia gravis. The detailed management of myasthenia gravis is way more then we have time for it to include in this episode. So some of the essential principles of perioperative management include first and foremost, do not operate on the patient while the, while the patient's in an acute myosinic crisis. Your thymectomy should be planned for when the patient is medically optimized, symptoms are controlled as the stress of surgery has the potential to precipitate a crisis with respiratory failure. All maintenance medications such as protostigmine, steroids should be continued in the perioperative period. If the patient receives routine IVIG to achieve symptom control, this should also be continued as well, pre and postoperatively. For patients who are unable to achieve complete symptom control, it is important to create a plan in conjunction with neurology and anesthesia to determine if thymectomy can be performed safely. These are patients with some mild respiratory or dysphagic symptoms, and it's possible to optimize them further with IVIG or plasmapheresis in the week prior to surgery. Postoperatively, these patients are often fragile. They may require prolonged ventilator support and additional IVIG or plasmapheresis treatments in conjunction with ongoing uh, medications like Mestinon. If interested, check out our show notes for more details on the perioperative management of these patients. There's some great data out there on how to optimize outcomes.
2: Great. Thanks for going over that with us. I think it's really important to be aware of. Now, Thankfully, our patient doesn't have myasthenia gravis, and all his imaging sounds pretty benign to me. It's important that you mention the lobulated mass with preserved fat planes, because while rare, this should still this still could be a more advanced stage thymoma or thymic carcinoma, in which case you may elect to have the patient undergo neoadjuvant therapy. But I digress. Let's move on with our operative plan.
3: So you can truly come at an anterior mediastinal mass from almost every diary every angle, uh, the obvious exception being posterior. Uh, so you can approach it anteriorly via a median sternotomy, uh, superiorly via a trans cervical approach, inferiorly via sub approach from either side, uh, or from either side laterally with VATS or uh, robotic-assisted thoracoscopic approaches. Your bailout emergency is always going to be a median sternotomy, so it's always a good idea to mark out your sternotomy incision at the time of surgery even if you're resecting via a different approach and always remember prep and drape widely uh, so that if you're ever in that scenario uh, you can complete your sternotomy quickly and efficiently.
2: Wow there's five different possibilities to consider for your operative approach so what's going to make you want to start with the sternotomy right away?
0: There are definitely certain masses where sternotomy is going to be the optimal approach. If you have concern for pericardial invasion, although you still can resect the pericardium robotically, it makes the surgery much more complex, and it's reasonable to just do this open. Size is probably the most important of all the considerations for the mediastinal mass. If you're going to end up needing a large thoracotomy to extract your specimen at the end of the case, you might want to just start with the sternotomy. And then the other big consideration, which we'll continue to discuss as we talk about all the different surgical approaches in this case with which you can see is protecting the phrenic nerves during your dissection. If the mass is so large that you will be unable to see the contralateral phrenic nerve, then it may be safer to approach it anteriorly via sternotomy.
3: Also, any general contraindications to a uh, video assisted thoracoscopic or robotic assisted approach, such as significant bilateral pleural disease, or the inability to tolerate single lung ventilation uh, may lead you down the pathway of a median sternotomy.
1: Absolutely. Okay. Well, our patient's mass seems reasonably sized for a minimally invasive approach and his CT didn't demonstrate any invasive features. So we think he's an excellent candidate for a robotic thymectomy. Tell us more about how you would approach this.
3: Sure. So starting off with anesthesia, uh, our anesthesiologist will place a double lumen and a tracheal tube so that we can provide single lung ventilation. When we position the patient, uh, we're not in a true lateral decubitus, uh, but rather with a bump to raise uh, the side of the chest that we're operating on. And then we drop the arm down out of the way. Uh, That way we can uh, mark our port sites as well as uh, the accessory port in the anterior axillary line.
2: So how are you going to decide on right versus
3: left-sided approach? Uh, So for me, it's all about uh, overall size as well as the phrenic nerves, like we talked about earlier. Uh, Some of it's the aortic arch on the left side, but also uh, the location of the phrenic nerve as it uh, traverses across uh, the heart makes visualization of the left phrenic nerve a bit more challenging when you're approaching it from the right side. Uh, its anatomy can be a bit more variable and it has a tendency in some patients to even drop behind the heart, uh, which makes it quite difficult to see. The right phrenic nerve uh, has a bit less variation, typically can be fine lying along the superior vena cava and then crossing along the anterior uh, hilum uh, in front of uh, the vessels uh, and structures to the lung. And for this uh, reason, a lot of surgeons would choose the left side, myself included, uh, to make visualization of that left phrenic nerve easier, especially in a patient with myasthenia gravis, where a complete thymectomy is really important uh, to remove all thymic tissue in order to treat disease and give the best outcomes. We've researched this, and on the left side, uh, for myasthenia, we have a lower operating time and better long-term outcomes. Uh, If it's for thymoma or another mass without myasthenia gravis, uh, then for me, it's more about uh, the size of the mass and location of the mass to determine uh, where I'm going to go because getting every little bit of thymic tissue is not necessary. Uh, In this case, if the mass is predominantly on the right side, then I would do a right-sided approach because then Uh, I have a better visualization of the phrenic nerve uh, that may be uh, very close to the mass uh, and any mass is going to make it more difficult to see the phrenic nerve on that side.
1: Dr. Louis, I recall that you authored an article on robotic thymectomy for thymoma in which you describe using a right-sided approach. What are your current thoughts on right versus left and what, if anything, has made you change your practice?
0: Well, Megan, early in the... In the development of robotic thymectomy, uh, we had many conversations with surgeons, and it was felt that the right side may be more optimal because it's more space. It was easier to access. Um, and as we began to get more experience, as Dr. White said, we found that finding the left side of phrenic nerve from the right a little bit more challenging. So then we we looked at using uh, indocyanine green and imaging, fluorescence imaging, to look at the left phrenic nerve, to identify it, to allow us to do that. And then as we got more experience, we moved to the left side, which is why we then compared our rights versus left, uh, as Dr. White described, uh, and we put together an international group with folks from Germany, uh, folks in the U.S., and we looked at right versus left, which is where we decided that left was the best option, particularly in patients with myasthenia gravis. So if the patient has MG, I'm often doing a left-sided approach. Uh, the tumor does dictate some sometimes, sometimes the approach, but... Ideally, for me, it's left-sided after all the research we've done.
2: Such awesome insights into the nuances of this procedure. So now that we've discussed the various considerations for surgical approach, what are the basic steps of your dissection?
0: So for me, a robotic left-sided thymectomy starts uh, along the back of the uh, sternum and we'll open up the sternal pleural side first and we'll go all across uh, to the contralateral side and open up the pleura on the right. And then once the mediastinum is widely open, we'll start on the left inferior horn uh, and uh, we'll move that across the mediastinum and across the base of the diaphragm first and reflect from left lower to right upper. And once we've got come across the diaphragm, we'll go up the left phrenic take out the horns, and then finish it on the right side. They identify the right side of phrenic nerve. You can find it generally where the innominate vein meets the superior vena cava, and as long as you're above the vena cava, you'll find it. And then we'll often come across the midpoint of the pericardium. There will be a bare area uh, that has no fat. You can lift it up, and then you can go superiorly. And as long as you're lifting the thymus gland up, you will see the phrenic nerve on the right, and you can just stay right along it as you come across the anterior surface of the SVC.
2: Awesome. All right, let's throw two challenges into the mix. Let's say you have an advanced thymic tumor and it's invading into the aorta or the great vessels. Your patient is young, otherwise healthy, and you wanna give them the best chance for prolonged survival with a radical resection. What tools do you have in your toolkit to help resect this patient?
3: So this is the type of patient who would be an excellent candidate to give induction chemotherapy to. Uh, Oftentimes, chemotherapy can help shrink the mass. And while it may not uh, remove the invasion, uh, it may make it uh, a more easy resection. Uh, And if we're really trying to give them the best possible outcome, you might even consider the use of cardiopulmonary bypass with resection and reconstruction in order to uh, complete uh, your tumor resection.
2: Excellent. Now, what if you're doing your left-sided VATS thymectomy and you just can't visualize that right phrenic nerve? You're doing this for gravis, let's say, and it's incredibly important to get every last bit of that thymic tissue. What are your options here?
0: Well, as we discussed, the bailout option would be immediate stenotomy, Though that would be a last resort for me if I was doing a left VATS. Uh, more likely, I would probably pop a camera into the right chest into a right VATS, mobilize the phrenic nerve away from the resection, and then just simply complete it either on the right or the left. And if you're robotically in the left and you can't do it, you could port hop and go subzygoid with the camera and see the right phrenic nerve by port hopping and adding an extra arm.
2: Super cool. <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what about our 64-year-old man with thymoma? How did he do? He did great. His pathology came
1: back as Masaoka Stage 2A, which gives him an excellent prognosis. There are two different staging systems to know, the Massaoka and the TNM, and there is also a classification system via the World Health Organization, but these uh, are beyond the scope of this podcast, so we'll include some more in our show notes about different ways of categorizing these uh, for prognostication and treatment. If the mass is non-invasive, as our patient's was, then you are all done once resection is complete. I love
2: a positive patient outcome, but what if this did come back as thymic carcinoma?
3: Well, in that case, you would talk to your medical and radiation oncologists, ideally through a multidisciplinary tumor board, uh, and likely recommend the patient for adjuvant chemotherapy uh, and possibly post-operative radiation therapy, uh, depending on invasion and what the final margins were. Uh, There are several regimens that are considered acceptable, which include cyclophosphamide, doxorubicin, and cisplatin, or COP, or cisplatin and etoposide. are uh, several of those standard regimens. Uh, The use of immunotherapy, it's still being studied and not yet standard of care, Uh, but there is some non-randomized phase two data that suggests that pembrolizumab may be helpful in thymic carcinoma that's refractory to initial chemotherapy treatments.
1: Such an interesting topic and so much to know both surgically and non-surgically for thymic carcinoma, thymoma, and all anterior mediastinum masses. I hope you've learned something. Thank you again for joining us. And thank you, Dr. Louie, Dr. White, and Dr. Dawes. Until next time, dominate the day.
0: Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening.
3: Until next time, dominate the day.
0: First, the bad news.
3: SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop.